Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Tell us about the Triangle. Well, um, you know, last year, and uh, David Hatcher Childress, my publisher, may argue with me about this, but last year I was really burned out. I just done Ancient Aliens and JFK, which I still really firmly believe in, and I think it's a great, great, great book. I was really happy with it, and I was really burned out. I said, you know, I really want to take a year off. And then David came up and said, oh, I really need something for the spring catalog. So he asked me, you know, what do you want to talk about? And I thought, well, what what is it from my past that I haven't really dealt with yet? And I think that the Bermuda Triangle was, was the thing that just came up, and it was just really an intriguing um, mystery that nobody has ever, I think, fully solved. And a lot of cases have, have been put out there, but I thought, you know, I wonder if there's a possibility that somewhere in there I can, I can come up with a mechanism or I can come up with the, the idea that might explain what's going on there and why we've had this, um, this phenomenon in the area for, for so long. So that's kind of what drove me to think about doing a Bermuda Triangle book. And I started digging in and doing the research, and it, it came up with uh, pretty interesting stuff. Was it Charles Berlitz who put the Bermuda Triangle on the map? Yeah, I think so, especially, especially given that he was the one to really coin the term the Bermuda Triangle. Now, there were people that had said, well, this area of the sea seems to be, there's a lot of mysterious disappearances and a lot of strange things have happened there. But uh, until he really gave it the name, I mean, he coined the phrase and, and he, he, he came up with that branding that people could really begin to understand what you're, he was talking about and, and what was going on there. Because, you know, these... These kinds of things, unless you can explain them easily, they're not people that they don't really capture the popular imagination. I mean, how do you explain the whole Trump Russia story? How do you explain that in simple terms? That's the big problem. Nobody can really explain it in simple terms or describe it in simple terms. So it's it's kind of like people are just not really able to even come up with a with a name for it. But once you have that that boom, that Bermuda Triangle concept then people can understand that, and they, and they really got very interested, including me when I was a 9- or 10-year-old boy, when I first started hearing the stories and I read his book. Give us an overview of some of the cases you looked at that will get specific in, into each one of them. Well, um, there were some really, really extraordinary and very, very different cases that I, I looked into, one or two. I mean, I think one of the most important ones, obviously, Flight 19 is the first one that comes uh, up. 1945, uh, because, right? Yeah, because, you know, you ha- I keep wanting to call it Flight 45, but it's Flight 19 in 1945. And, and as you get into the details of that, it's just really an extraordinary case. And, and, and there just isn't a lot of explanation, and there is quite a bit of mystery around it still today. Nobody's ever come up with a... A satisfactory explanation, and that's the case really with all of the big ones. I mean, I found other stuff. There's a there's a disappearance of the Cotopaxi, which is a, a you know a ship that was basically 1925 with ore, right? Filled with ore, and it it just sort of up and disappeared. And and then there were stories coming out a few years ago that the wreckage had been found actually floating, that it was still around floating, you know, in in Havana Harbor. So that was a curious one. Wasn't and, that story part of Close Encounters of the Third Kind? It was. It was made famous, really, by by Steven Spielberg in Close Encounters of the Third Kind when he, you know, showed everybody the Cotopaxi in the middle of the Gobi Desert. In the desert, and that's it, right. Yeah, and it was a big hint that, you know, the aliens had had the ship all along. Now, that was a cool one because I, I actually had a, a personal... Um, I did some investigation on that for a TV show that never actually came to fruition. But as our test case, we did the Cotopaxi, and I think I know what happened to it. So that was a good case. Um, There's another case that really hasn't been talked about, which is that 
during a military exercise in the early 1960s, we lost an entire B-52 just completely in thin air. And then there's a case that's really personal to me that's always had my attention, which is the disappearance of the USS Scorpion. Oh, sad a nuclear story. Nuclear submarine that, that just really is extraordinary. 1968, 99 crew members. Mm-hmm. Fa- horrible case. story. And so those are, those are the primary ones that drove me. And, of course, there's a million other cases of, well, not a million, but there's a, you know, a lot of other cases of planes that are 20 minutes away from landing, and they just never show up, and nobody finds a thing, and there's no distress call. There's, there's just a lot of cases like that. Let's get into some of the specific cases. And Flight 19, of course, December 1945, five torpedo bombers simply vanished and disappeared. And then several days later, they sent out a ship to look for them with a crew of 13, and they all disappeared. It was a flying boat. Yeah, it was, uh, it was basically a PBY Catalina aircraft. And, you know, actually, George, that wasn't a couple days later. That was that night. because That night? Yeah. And it had disappeared. By, by 7 p.m., they realized that the flight was lost. Certainly there had been some communications, and they knew that they were overdue and seemed to be very, very, very confused. And then a, a massive search and rescue operation was, um, was sent out that very night. And only a few hours later, this entire PBM Mariner just completely disappeared in midair. And... There are a few reports that somebody saw an explosion, but it turns out as you dig into those reports that actually it looks like it was a flare that was dropped from an airplane that was searching, not actually the PBY Mm -hmm. Catalina aircraft itself. And and the very strange thing about that, too, is that the official explanation for the disappearance of the PBY Mariner, or PBM Mariner, was that it, it it blew up because somebody lit a cigarette on board. Now, this is an aircraft whose nickname was the Flying Gas Tank. And are you Jeez. telling me that, that somebody's going to forget that huh. they're in the flying no, gas no, tank? No, no, no. Light up a cigarette? I mean, that's, it's just utterly ridiculous, and it just, it just really leads to the, you know, fills in the mythology of this whole case and some of the things about it that even the parts they think they can explain are really inexplicable. Nobody, nobody would do that, and you'd be able to smell the gas fumes in any event. So it, it, it really, was, uh, really was a strange, strange case. And, and prior to that, then, these five Grumman uh, Avengers, what happened to them? What do you think? Well, I mean, they were supposed to go on, a, on an easterly course. They, they bombed, they were, they bombed a, a dead Sea Hulk out near um, some islands just off the coast of Florida, and um, uh, had in Chicken Shoals, I think it was called. And then they were supposed to turn north and go over the island and then turn back, basically left at an an acute angle, about a 45-degree angle, back to Fort Lauderdale, where they launched from. And by the time they were supposed to be over the islands, the pilot seemed to get very confused. Charles Taylor, who was the commander, radioed back that he didn't know where he was, everything looked strange, there was white water, the sky was gray. And the bizarre thing about all those weather reports is that, you know, the, the radar stations all along the coast and the weather stations, they didn't see anything. They didn't see any hint of a storm or any indication of bad weather. It looked like a perfectly normal um, 75 to 85 degree day in uh, just off the coast of Florida. There were no storms, there was nothing big happening, yet somehow he thought he was completely on the other side of Florida in the Florida Keys. And, and so it, they, they got more and more confused and started reporting back. And there were other flights that were up in the air that had a, an idea or a thought that, hey, you know, I know where you are. 
Um, I want to come out and get you and lead you back in. I'm pretty sure I know where you are. And Taylor's last transmission was, no, don't come after me. Now, there's also quite an interesting story about what some people on the coast of Florida heard about that full transmission, which was a little bit more than just, no, don't come after me. What was it like? What do you think? Well, the, the actual reports from ham radio operators you know, along the coast were, and this is, in the, this is apparently in some of the official naval documentation, were what he actually said, what Taylor actually said to the pilot of the other flight that wanted to come looking for him was, no, don't come after me. They look like they're from outer space. Whoa! And that was actually confirmed by um, a, a naval, an admiral on a television show about the Triangle Jeez. in 1974. They... And the weird thing is, is George, I remember that, like you know, from being a kid and watching this TV show where they said, you know, it was reported that it was, no, don't come after me, they look like they're from outer space. But when I went to start doing the research, I couldn't find any reference to that. Wow. I had to dig and dig and dig, and I finally found somebody who had quoted a transcript from that live TV special back in 1974. And sure enough, I got the name of the admiral, I got the name of uh, the command he was at, and he was somebody who had access to the classified version of the report of what happened to, to Flight 19. Did anybody record? Did they have recordings back in 1945 of the transmissions? No, they couldn't record. All they could do is go based on what the testimony was of the transmissions that were heard by the various towers oh, along the coast. Sure. And, you know, the weird thing is, is that it, um, it, this case is probably the first time we really ever talked about what people call the electronic fog of the triangle. And, and that is a situation where people seem to encounter these odd storms, which aren't really storms. And, and they, they seem to affect instruments, especially gyroscopes and, and, um, and other you know, tracking devices, compasses aboard the aircraft. They don't seem to work. They seem to spin out of control and people lose their reference points. It's, it's really quite bizarre, but this is the first time it was ever really mentioned. And although they kind of, in the investigation, wanted to blame uh, uh, Lieutenant Ch Taylor for what happened, that he got lost somehow. His, his mother said, look, you know, the Navy's unfairly blaming my son for the loss of these five aircraft and the 14 men, and they have no bodies, no evidence of any of the airplanes. And, you know, she said to a military officer, it was recorded by a local newspaper just outside the courtroom or the, the review room, that, you know, you're trying to blame my son for this, and, and you really have no evidence of anything that, that, that he did that could have caused them to crash. And the naval officer said, yes, ma'am, you're right. It's as if they just disappeared to Mars. It's so, weird. Again, yeah, it's a really weird case. And, and there's just, uh, you know, he was an experienced pilot. He had other experienced flyers with him. And there's no reason for them to have gotten lost on a completely clear day. Well, not all five yeah. of them. I mean, maybe you lose one out of five, two out of five, but then yeah. three, four, five out of five? It's, it doesn't make any sense. Right. And then, and then, you know, eight or ten years ago, they thought they found them. There was, again, some torpedo bombers that were at the bottom of the Atlantic that they found, you know, a few, uh, hundred, a few miles offshore. And they thought, oh, this is it. This is fi we finally found them. This is where they went down. And they recovered the aircraft and checked out the serial numbers. And they weren't the They weren't airplane. the ones. They weren't so, the ones. So we lost... Know, it, 14 crew still, members in those five points. Yeah, disappeared. And it, it would have been another, there would have been another missing crew member, but one of the guys, pilots, had, had a premonition 
that something very bad was going to happen that day, and he asked to be relieved from flight duty that very morning, and he was, in fact, relieved from flight duty because he just said, I don't, I, I don't ever want to fly again, and I'm certainly not going out today. So they relieved him from flight duty, or it would have been, it would have been another uh, man lost. So quite a strange, extraordinary uh, tale about Flight uh, 19. And then they lost 13 search members in that other mm-hmm. accident. Yep, and which, again... There simply no. There simply isn't any evidence to conclude that their that their conclusion that uh, the guy lit up a cigarette and blew the plane up was um, was correct. And you know you got to remember too. This is the same area that was just searched again 50 years later when the shuttle Challenger exploded after takeoff uh, from Cape from Cape Canaveral. So it's not like the area hasn't been combed with search and rescue aircraft both back in the day when it actually took place. And then, you know, decades later, when Challenger exploded, they also went back and absolutely blanketed this area, hundreds and hundreds of square miles, and they found nothing. They found no oil slicks, no crashed planes, no seat cushions, no rafts, survival rafts, and they had survival rafts. And all the pilots were trained on how to ditch in the ocean, and they were calm seas that day, and yet they just didn't find a thing. I mean, realistically, George, they should have found all five pilots in their rescue rafts floating at sea somewhere in the calm, calm waters, and should have been able to rescue them. Instead, they found absolutely nothing, and they have these bizarre transmissions that, frankly, when you, when you read it, it's pretty scary. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.